Father, we're here in your presence. I pray that as you have loved us first, God, we would understand and know that love this morning. Just get a glimpse of who you are. God, I pray that as we feel that love and as we know that love, God, that we would just return it right back to you. You loved us, so we love you. We worship you, God, this morning. Receive that praise. Be glorified in us. Thank you that you are pleased in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. guys. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We are spent several weeks going through the book of Ephesians and have a few weeks left uh, before we begin a new series on redemption uh, leading into the Easter season. So Ephesians 4, I'm going to start in verse 17 and going to read through verse 24. It says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ in that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. God, we we thank you for your word. God, we thank you. God, for your direction and instruction on holy living and what it looks like to be an imitator of you. God, we we thank you for the principles we see even in this portion of how the gospel can change our life. And God, we want to hear from you this morning. God, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know... uh, song we sang second to last there, I don't know if this rings true for you as, as it rings true for me, but a thousand times I've failed. A thousand times I've failed, and yet your mercy still remains. I feel oftentimes in my life that I need his mercy, right? And I experience his grace because over and over I seem to fail. I had one of those experiences yesterday. I, uh, Took my son up to the Iowa State game, and uh, the two of us are, are up there watching the game, and, and at one point in the game, I thought the game was over, and I grabbed my four-year-old son, and we left the game, and, uh, and uh, we're, we're driving out of the parking lot, and all of a sudden, all the parking attendants start screaming and cheering and yelling, and I realized the, uh, the mistake that I had made. <laughs> I'm not sure he'll ever, ever let me live that down. I showed him the highlight later on in the day, and I thought he'd be excited about it, but he just kind of shook his head, disappointed that he missed it. <laughs> so I found myself that I've failed many times, and some probably more significant than others. Hopefully he'll 
forgive me on that one. But I've made mistakes, and I've failed, and, and feeling like I've let myself down, feeling like at times I've let my family down, feeling at times that in my pursuit of Christ that, that I've let him down. A thousand times failed, yet his mercy remains. And it's an awesome truth I have to remind myself of, that despite my failures and despite where I, I screw up, I've got a God of, oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. What an awesome truth. That, that God no longer looks at me as that guy who's screwed up a thousand times, but he looks at me as a son. Because, not because of anything special that I've done or great things that I've accomplished, but because of his son Jesus. Because I, I've made a decision in my life that I was going to put my trust and my faith and my hope in the finished work of Jesus. And now when he looks at me, he doesn't see that failure, but he sees forgiven, redeemed, a new creation. This is the truth of the gospel. This is the truth of what Jesus has offered us in himself, what God has offered us in his Son. And this morning, we, we want to look at this, and as we think about godly living as we think about a life lived for God, imitators of God, to be like Christ. There are some great principles in this passage, great ways for us if we want to live changed lives, if we want to live our lives differently, there's some great truths in this portion of Ephesians. And, and I hope you're like that. I, I think that's probably a great place to begin is to realize, you know what, I want to be different. I want to live a changed life. I want to live a life that impacts this world around me for the kingdom of God. It's a great place to start. It's the attitude of where our, our heart should begin. And so I want to look at, at, at four things, four principles to which the, God, uh, the gospel will change your life in this passage. My story began really when I was about 15 years old, and I was up at a Bible camp in, in Minnesota called Coronas Bible Camp. And I grew up in this church, but I spent, if you talk to my junior high teachers, they'll tell you the story of I'd come to junior high class, and I'd put my head down, and I would sleep the entire class. True story. And I really didn't pay much attention or really care, you know, as a, many junior hires, there's, you know, struggles and hurts and pains going on in your life, and, and junior high is a tough time. Really didn't care. Didn't pay attention to what was going on around me or what was said. And when I was 15 years old at a camp in Coronas, for the first time in my life, I encountered, encountered the gospel. It, I had heard it, but it didn't register. I, I probably, sitting in this, this church for, for many years, had, had probably heard messages and Sunday school stories and the whole bit. But it wasn't until I was 15 years old, and that week, the speaker going through the Gospel of John, like we did last summer, and in the Gospel of John, realizing the first time that I was wrecked, and I was ruined, and I needed to be redeemed, that I had issues in my life, and my issues are probably small in comparison, but it doesn't matter. God doesn't compare our issues. We've got issues, we've got sin, they're all the same. They all lead us 
in a need of Jesus. And when I was 15 years old and studying and going through the Gospel of John, for the first time in my life, I really encountered the Gospel and my need for Jesus. And it was in that week in which I made that decision to put my faith and my hope in the finished work of Christ and what He had done for me on the cross to erase my sin that now no longer would God look at me as, as seeing the sin and the, the thousand times I've failed, but He would see me as a son, as redeemed, as forgiven, and one who would share and is in, in the inheritance. Fifteen years old. And verses like John 14, 6 stood out to me where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That he is the way. If I need a direction for my life, he was it. He is the truth. That there is one truth in life, and it is him. The way, the truth, and the life. If I wanted new life, if I wanted to be a new creation, it was in Jesus. And that verse ends, the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. There was no other way. It wasn't showing up to church like I'd done my whole life. It wasn't being a good kid or listening to what my mom and dad told me to do, getting good grades. It wasn't anything. It wasn't helping the poor, helping the sick, making a difference. Those things were not it. Jesus says it is through him alone, through him alone. When I was 15, I made that decision. But, but many times, as I'm sure with you, God kind of takes us through a process. I, I look at even the disciples, and when you study and, and, and read about the disciples, he first just called them to kind of come and see. And the disciples dropped what they were doing, and they came and saw. And then as he spent more time with them, he called him to, to more. And there was finally a time where Peter said, you are the Christ. And eventually they were called to leave everything. Everything, family, work, whatever it was. Sometimes there's a process in this. And I remember when I was 18 years old, and this time at Tisnas Pass in Arizona on the Emmanuel Mission. And God really began to speak to me. He says, yes, you know, I know you made a decision to follow me. But does your life reflect that decision that you made? See, oftentimes when, when we make a decision for Christ, we don't always know what we're supposed to do, right? We, we're not sure what the next step is. And it's so important, I, I remember as Megan shared her story, as she was talking, right, she had that experience where she knew that Jesus loved her, and she knew she needed to live differently. But until she got plugged in and, and started going to a recovery group and a small group, her life didn't change or didn't reflect that decision that she had made. And so I think the, the first step in these principles, and number one, the four principles with the gospel will change your life. Number one is you need to make a decision. You need to make a decision. Listen to these verses. I'm going to start at the end, and I'm going to come back to the beginning. Here's what it says, starting in verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Here's the key, to put off and to put on. 
And I, I, as I was studying this and reading, at least for me, there's different views, but I kind of came to the conclusion that in the original text and what Paul was saying is that you have put off and that you have put on. And you can go back to Ephesians chapter 1 when he was talking about you are blessed, right? That blessing is not circumstantial. It's not that we have a nice house or we have a nice car or God has blessed us in our work or anything like that. But when we are in Christ, we are blessed. We are adopted. We are sons. We share in the inheritance. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We are blessed because of our position in Christ. Because I have put my faith and my hope and my trust in the finished work of Christ, I am blessed. And Nick talked about a few weeks after that, or it might have been the week after that, what we once were, we no longer are. Because we are a new creation in Christ. And I think much the same applies for here. As Paul is talking to the Ephesians, he's telling, put off the old and put on the new. You have put off the old, and you have put on the new. Because we are a new creation. We have a new life in Christ. So there's that sense that it's been done. But a decision must be made, right? The first area and the first important and the first principle to live a life that is changed by the gospel is we must make a decision. A new and decisive decision. I think it speaks as he's talking back to a single experience. And and God may take us through a process. God may work in each of our lives a little differently. But to me, there, there has to be a point when I say, you know what, first of all, like when I was 15, I need to put my faith and my hope and my trust in the finished work of Christ in what He has done. And some of us may be here this morning, and we have not done that. If you can't think of a time, you know what? I have not made that decision to follow Jesus. You know what? I, I have not put my faith and my hope and my trust in the finished work of Christ. I know that He has gone to the cross. I know that because of what I've done wrong in my sin, He had to go to the cross. I know it here, but I've not put my faith and my hope. Or, as Romans tells us, to believe in your heart, right? To confess with your mouth. I've not made that. If you're here this morning, that's where it begins. A decision made for Christ. And then I think at some point in our life, we need to realize that, that there's a way in which we should live. And as Ephesians 5.1 tells us to be imitators of God, to live a life worthy of the calling we've received. You can go through Colossians chapter 3 and here in Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, and we get a picture of what a follower of Christ is to look like, one who lives a life worthy of the gospel. One who lives a life worthy of what Jesus has done for us. Put off the old and put on the new. Back up to verse 17 here, to the beginning. Here's what it says, and I think this is kind of the first step in this. It says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. 
First step, you must no longer live as you once did. I think it's funny, he says, don't live as the Gentiles do, but who's he speaking to? I'll tell you. Ephesians 3.1 says this, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. He's speaking to the Gentiles, right? That's who he's talking to. And he says this, You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. There is a way in you, you used to live your life. There were things that you used to do. There was a pattern of your life that you used to follow. And what he is telling the Ephesians, he says that, you know how you used to live? Don't, no longer do that. You know how the Gentiles live? That pattern in which they live their life? No longer do that. I think the first thing we need to come to a realization of is that there is a life that is lived not for the gospel that can no longer be lived. And we have to come to a realization that the way in which we used to live is not the way we should no longer live. And it's what he tells the Ephesians. And they had come and they had began to see that the, their pattern of their old life, the way in which they used to live, and here's what it looked like in the last half of verse 17, in the futility of their thinking. In other words, the way in which they used to live their life was futile. Futility in their thinking. What does that mean? It says the way you used to live is pointless. The way you used to live is meaningless. There's no point or meaning to the old life. And to make a decision to put off the old, and put, off the, and put on the new, we have to realize that the life we once lived was meaningless. It was futile. There was no point to it at all. Sorry, I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but a life that was lived before is pointless, meaningless. And it's not that these guys weren't religious, right? They had a belief in God, but they were missing one key component. They had belief in a God, but missing a key component. Listen to this in verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. Right? Living in their darkness, but separated from their life of God. A life without God is meaningless. A life without God is pointless. It's pointless. See, I can have all the love in the world, but you know what's going to happen? At the end of my life, with those that I love and those that I cherish, a life apart from God means separation. Same thing, we, we live, and I think there's a generation rising up that, that wants to make a difference, wants to see change in this world, want to see a, a world different than, than they live in now. But here's the reality. If there's no God... All the difference you make in this world is meaningless. It's pointless. Nobody will remember it. It won't have a lasting impact. And it will go on forgotten. A life without God. That's always depressing, isn't it? Right? Nobody will remember your work. But here is the life with God. And we need to realize that. That's what he's pointing out to the, the, the church at Ephesus here, to the Ephesians. He's saying that life you used to live is meaningless, it's pointless. But now, now we got something different. That's the old 
self. Now you are a new creation. Now you put on the new self. And in this new self and being in Christ is a life of purpose, is a life of meaning, is a life that will last, a love that's everlasting. Your deeds, your works will matter for all of eternity, and they will be remembered. This is the new self. This is a life in Christ. And this is where it begins. When we begin to see our life, our old life, as a life that is pointless and meaningless and without hope, we begin to see that. That's where it really begins to change. That's when we really begin to understand we need the new, right? We need to be a new creation. And at some point in your life, you have to make a decision. You have to make a decision. If you've not made a decision for Christ at some point in your life, you have to make that decision. A life in Christ. And, and maybe now you're sitting here and you know what, Kyle, you know, I, I know I've made that decision. You know, I, I know that God has sent his only son to die for me because of the things I've done wrong in my life. But now there has to be a point when I, I look at the way in which I used to live and now being in Christ and being a new creation, I need to live differently. My life should reflect, as Paul said, to live a life worthy of the gospel I have received. Live a life that reflects that Jesus has died for me. A new life, a new creation. And the way in which I live should reflect that. The old self, put off the old, and put on the new. Happens only in Christ. Second thing we see is that there must be a change from the inside. Change doesn't happen on the outside. It happens on the inside. The word uh, put on, like he's talking about put on the new self and put off the old, was often used to talk about clothing, right? Like I would put off the jacket and then put on a new one. But here's, not, here's what he's not talking about when he's talking about put on and put off. He's not talking about behaviors, okay? Now, wait a second. If you read verses 25 and you go through chapter 5, isn't that what it's all talking about? Behaviors? Ways in which an imitator of God should live? Ways in which a follower of Christ, somebody who's in Christ, should live? Yeah. But, but, if you don't catch the first part, that second part doesn't matter. If you don't catch the, the, the fact that we are, there was an old and now we are a new creation in Christ, it doesn't matter what you're imitating. We must first put off and put on. And then we talk about what it looks to be an imitator of Christ. The change must happen on the inside. Here's the reality of it. It's being something before doing something, right? Being something before doing something. Christianity is not about becoming moral. Christianity is not morality. Christianity is about being someone in Christ and not about what we do. It's a heart 
It happens on the inside. It's not our actions. And, and people who are searching for Christ often go there first, don't they? You have a conversation with somebody, and they want to know, you know, what is the answer? What is Christianity? What am I supposed to do? If I want to go to heaven, what does that look like? And what they always go is they go to morality. Well, if I do this, you know, if I forgive those that, that I need to forgive, if I begin to give more, you know, if I, if I quit sleeping with my boyfriend or my girlfriend, do I have to, you know, go out and do good things? It's always a morality question. But this is something, right? This is something we are and not something that we do. And we'll talk about being an imitator of God, but we need to be something before we do something. The reality is they're asking the wrong question. When you're asking about what you need to do, the actions that need to be carried out, you're missing what it is. Do you need to change the behaviors, right? If you are in Christ, should, there be, should, we, should our lives look different? They should, yes. But if I'm after my life looking different without getting this first key piece, which is verses 22 through 24, it's pointless. If I'm immediately jumping in and I'm going to verse 25 and going through uh, the first half of chapter 5 and looking like what an imitator of God is to be, I'm missing the point. It begins in verses 22 through 24. I'll read them again for you. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Right? It's not about what we do. It's about who we are. And new self means new motives, right? New self, if we become a new creation, a new being, it means we have new motives. Motives are, are basically the reason what we do what we do, right? And we look at our lives, and a new creation has new motives. A new self has new motives. I think of my own kids and, and raising my own kids and how I teach and train my own kids. And much of what I probably train them is out of fear or pride, right? They have a fear that if they do this or they don't do this, they might get in trouble or they might receive my affection. Or there's pride that, you know what, you see these people here, you don't want to be like them. And so now my kids develop selfish motives. It's all about self. It's an epidemic in our world that we live for ourselves. And my kids now, they reflect, okay, I won't do this because there's a reward in place. Or I won't do this because I don't want to be like that. Instead of training my kids and teaching them who they are in Christ. That it, it's, our actions reflect that I'm in Christ, but what's more important is that I am in Christ. And I live differently because of that. Motivation is everything. And I think because of the way many of us were, were raised and grew up, many people sit in churches all over the country and they're wanting to read their Bible and follow the Ten Commandments and then they spend their, their lives comparing themselves to other people. That, you know what, I got it together. I go to church, I read my Bible, and I'm not like them. Fear. 
pride, motivated by those things. But when we truly understand who we are in Christ, that new creation in Christ, our actions are that out of gratitude. Because of what Jesus has done for me, because I am a new creation, because I am redeemed, because I am forgiven, because I'm an adopted son and I share in the inheritance, there's that sense of gratitude. I live differently because, man, I love Jesus. I love what he has done for me. I love that I am a new creation and I have a new life in him. It's understanding who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ. That's what Ephesians is all about. It's what the theme we've been talking about this whole time is who we are in Christ. I'm just not randomly. I'm pointing to that sign in case you're wondering what I'm doing back there. And circumstances don't matter, right? Anon, if you didn't read that email, Anon Darla sent out, or you know, Nick sent it out on behalf of him, but he was talking about when they lost their son Isaac. And if you didn't read that, I'd encourage you to go back and read it. Because what happens is, if, if circumstances dictate what we do, then when, when difficult times come along, it shakes our very foundation, our very core. But, but you read and you hear a story like Anand sharing his story of losing his son Isaac, who had a short and difficult life. And Anand tells the story and Remember seeing, he flips over his calendar and sees the verse about Abraham ready to sacrifice his son Isaac. And then he tells the story of coming to church and singing the song, Blessed be your name, a land full of suffering. You give and you take away. Those type of things would rock many people's foundations. A story recently where a child was, was killed and a marriage destroyed because of it. Those things rock foundations. And you hear a story like Anand shared, and you're blown away because here's a guy whose foundation, he knows where his identity is, he knows who, we are, who he is and a new creation in Christ. It doesn't mean it's easy. Being in Christ doesn't mean that life goes smoothly and all is well. But we're reminded of our foundation. We're reminded of who we are in Christ. Two more points uh, I'll make quickly here. Uh, the third one is this, from this passage that we see, a principle in which the, the gospel will change our life. The third one is transforming our thinking. There's a little verse tucked in between 22 and 20, 24. It's 23. My math's great. Verse 23 says this, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Our minds are transformed. It's speaking about the spirit of our thinking. We're not talking about logic or reason or some, some abstract thinking. We're talking about the core of our mind, the core of our heart, our very being, the very root of our thinking, and it literally transforms the way we think and the way we think about ourselves as well. Go back to the story of Megan, right? Heart-wrenching story to hear her share. But it's not about who we were, who we once were. 
about who we are in Christ. It's not about the old life. It's about the new. A new life in Christ. What an awesome thing. What I've done, you know, Paul, man, he's the chief of sinners. Chief of sinners. He was murdering Christians. It's not about what he once did, but it's about who he is now. Redeemed, forgiven, adopted, a son, sharing in the inheritance. A new creation. It's not about where we've been. It's about who we know. It's about what we are in Christ. And our whole mind is transformed. Our way of thinking is transformed. And now someone like Megan no longer can hear, you know what, i got to do these things to find favor, to think I'm good enough. Because we have a God that has loved us and found so much worth in us, he's given us his son Jesus. So much worth. He loves you so much, and he has found so much worth in you that he sent his son to die for you. That's how much he loves. That's how much he cares. That's how much worth he has found in you. In you. Our mind is transformed. The last thing, and I'll have Nick and the band can come back up. Verses 20 and 21 say this, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. We have a renewed mind. We have a renewed way of thinking, but we want to be reminded that it's in Christ. To know him, and that's the key. That's where it's all out. We want to come back to that. If you're here this morning, and we talk about being blessed and what that looks like, we talk about having a new life, putting off the old and putting on the new. It's very simple. You need to know Jesus. You need to be in Christ. The last portion of that in verse 21 says, Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. See, what changes us is knowing him. If you want to live a life that is changed, that is different, it's knowing Jesus. That's where changed lives happen for eternity. To know him. And that's my challenge and encouragement for you this morning. That if you're sitting here and you are not in Christ, that you would begin to ask him what that looks like. You'd begin to ask the person you're with what that looks like. You begin to seek out who Jesus is. Maybe do what I did when I was 15 years old and go back and and read the Gospel of John. Read what Jesus has done. Read about who Jesus is. I would encourage you to do that. For some of us, we we know who he is and we know what we've done, but oftentimes we, we look at our old life and we're stuck in that old life. And I would encourage you to to read verses 25 and then into chapter 5 when it talks about what it looks like to be a new creation. What it looks like to be an imitator of God. Listen to verse 5, and here's uh, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Here's what we're going to end with. It says this, Be imitators of God. 
Therefore, as dearly loved children, imitators of God, and live a life of love, we can do that when we are in Christ. We can do that when we know what this last portion is. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Isn't that why we're here? We're here to remember and think about and worship Jesus. The bread and the juice are up here, and we want to encourage you to come to take the bread and the juice and to remember this fragrant offering, this sacrifice to God that Jesus made for you, for you. If you don't know that this morning, we, we ask and we pray that you would seek it out, that you would talk to God about what it is to know his son Jesus, what it is to be in Christ, because there's nothing more important and for your life to have meaning and for your life to have purpose, you need to know Jesus, plain and simple. I don't care what you're doing or where you've been or where you're going, but we care that you know Jesus. And when you know Jesus and you begin to understand who he is and what he's done, then your life will begin to change. We as a church, we're, we're not looking to go and have people change actions or behaviors. We're just simply going to lead people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus. Because when people come to know who Jesus is and what he's done, lives will be changed. So let's worship Jesus this morning. Let's come and remember what he has done. Remember his body that was broken and his blood that was shed, that fragrant offering that sacrifice to God for you, that was done for you. What an incredible gift, isn't it? What an incredible thing he has done for you. For you. Let's pray. God, we, we have no words. No words or actions will suffice. We look at our lives and we look at who we've been and we understand that, you know, we're not worthy of this. But yet you have found worth in us. And you have loved us so much that you gave us this fragrant offering, this beautiful sacrifice who is your son Jesus. God, we should live changed lives because of it. We should live lives worthy of the gospel we have received. We should be imitators of God. And we don't want to be motivated by duty or guilt or a sense of obligation, but we want to be motivated by this fragrant offering, this beautiful sacrifice. We want to be motivated by Jesus. Remind us who we are. Remind us that we are a new creation. We have a new self a new being in Jesus. God, thank you for this offering. Thank you for this fragrant offering, this beautiful sacrifice. 
God, we want to be different. We want to be different. We want to live changed lives. And we understand that happens when we under begin to realize that we are a new creation. We have a new self, and it's all because of your son, Jesus. It's in his awesome and holy name we pray. God, we, we thank you for Jesus. We stand in him complete. In Christ. God, we, we look at this passage and, and God, we, we know we have to make a decision. And we do that by, by looking at what our life once was. And for some of us here this morning, we want you to reveal what our life is now and how much we need you, that we are lost and need to be found, that we are broken and need to be healed, that we need to be redeemed so we can stand in you complete. God, may we not leave here if we have questions or thoughts or concerns. God, may we seek them out. And God, may most importantly, may we know him this one we stand complete in. May we be captivated by him. God, we'll live different lives if we are. We'll be changed if we do. So help us to be captivated by your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming.